I'm glad I could join you today and be able to, to minister. Uh, Pastor Jay is out of town, and I'm so thankful to be able to share with you today. Um, today, uh, we're going to complete uh, a two-part series entitled The Wonder of Worship. In the middle of a broken, chaotic, politically charged, pandemic-infused, crazy broken world, it's good for us to look up and to see something bigger than ourselves and bigger than our problems. And that's what worship is about. That's what we talked about last week. That's what worship really is all about. Last week, uh, Pastor Jay ministered and, and we tried to answer this question, what happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? Well, we understand worship wasn't just something that, it's not something God has to have. He, he's already all that he needs to be. But worship really affects us. Last week we determined, we saw from the scripture, peace replaces pressure when we worship. We saw that clarity replaces confusion when we worship, and love replaces fear. That sounds good. That sounds like a good reason to worship, amen? A good reason to worship. Well, today we're going to answer one more question. Why do we worship God. Why is it him that we worship? Before I go into that, I think we need to uh, go back to our basic scriptural text that we used for the wonder of worship. Uh, what is worship? Romans 12:1 tells us, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. He sort of defined worship. He said, offer everything, your bodies, everything to him. And so we came up with this definition. Worship, responding to God with every part of my life. I love that. And that brings us to what we're going to be talking about today. So why do we worship God? Why do we worship him? I've got two real easy points today. They're both from the scripture and they're both powerful in your heart. Why do we worship God? First of all, because of who he is. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I think about the story of Job. Job is the character in the Old Testament. Remember Job, Job had a good life going for him. He, he, was, uh, he was prosperous, he had a wonderful family. He was, he, he was morally upright, excellent guy. Things were going good for him, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this, this terrible catastrophe hits him. He, he ends up losing, losing his, a lot of his possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. He, he finds himself completely stripped of everything that's important to him. And, and be honest with you, he didn't understand that. And I don't understand that when anything like that happens to people. I don't understand, and he, and he doesn't understand at all. He had some friends come around saying, man, you must be a bad guy. What happened to you? And, and Job's going, look, no, I'm upright. I'm, I'm, I'm straight. I'm, I tell the truth. I'm an honest guy. I don't know why this is happening. And this book of Job, like for 37 chapters, is Job telling how good he is and how unfair things are. And then he sort of got mad at God. He didn't sort of got mad at God. He got really mad at God. He ended up saying, God, why are you letting this happen? You know how good I am. And he went through this whole thing. And then finally, he got to the point where he said, God, 
come talk to me. Come speak with me. And then he said, if I had a lawyer, I'd sue you. He did say that. That's, that's in the book of Job. If I had an advocate, a, a lawyer, I'd take you to court. So God, the patient, loving God that he is, he decided, hey, I, I, think, I, need, I think I need to talk to this guy a little bit. So Job says, God says, Job, son, let's talk. And this is what he says in Job 38, beginning with verse 2. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. <laughs> hey, and it goes on for four chapters, long chapters, four of them of just those questions over and over. <laughs> Things like, Job, do you know how I caused the lightning to flash across the sky? You have any idea? Hey, Job, were you there when I took my finger and made a course for a river to run? Were you there when that happened? Do you know how I make the eagles fly in the, in the sky? Do you know how that happens, buddy? And then, then he said this. He goes, have you ever seen a rare mountain goat give birth? And that was the weirdest thing when I read that. He picked out, God picked out this rare mountain goat that lives in the high altitudes of the highest mountains that nobody hardly ever sees and says, Job, did you, did you happen to know, did you happen to ever see how that mountain goat gives birth? Well, God says, I do. I'm there every time it happens. <laughs> Job is just like, like blows his face off. He, he don't know what to, he, he don't what to do. Job, by chapter, by, by chapter 41, Job is just like wiped out. He's embarrassed. He's speechless. He's sort of humiliated. <laughs> he, he confesses. He says, God, I, I see myself, well, to quote Andy Griffith, I see myself with this great big foot, every bit of it, all up in my mouth. And he tells God that. He's got... I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't see you. I just saw me. I just saw my problems. I, I didn't see you. You see, folks, God is infinite. <laughs> He's unlimited. Humans, we are finite and limited. God's not like us. I'm just telling you. We're made in his image, and we reflect God in so many ways. But God's not like us. He knows all things. He knows the future. He knows every detail of the past. He reads our minds. He knows exactly how many hairs are on our head at any moment of time. And that could, that's tough right there. He knows every cell in our bodies. He knows how they work. He created he designed every microscopic part of a cell of everything you see with your eyes on the face of the earth. He made the majestic Mount Everest. He also made these little tiny bags that bees have on their hind legs that they store little pollen, grains of pollen in. He made the huge universe and then he also made these tiny little receptors 
in your retina that are able to look up and see the glory of the universe. He created 8.7 million different species of living creatures on the earth, and that's just the ones we know about. And he did every one of them intricately and uniquely. Oh, my goodness. He, he knows the thoughts of our hearts. He, he's not like us. <laughs> he knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows the motives that bring those thoughts to our mind. He knows every word we speak. He knows every word we spoke. He knows every word we're going to speak. He knows what we're thinking. He can't be tricked. He can't be manipulated. He's not like us. He holds all the answers to science, to creation, to history. He knows where all the bodies are buried. And he promises to reveal all of that, shouting it from the rooftops someday. He, he knows every crook, every cheat, every fraudster by name, and he cares for every person who was cheated and defrauded and hurt by those people. In Psalm 139, we read this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me. That phrase, the, the wings of the dawn, I think in King James it says the wings of the morning. That phrase means when that first ray of sunlight, that first beam that pops up over the horizon every morning, that first one, he says, God, if I could just jump on that beam and go as far as it takes me, when it got where we were going, you would be there waiting on me. It, it blew David's mind to even think about it. No, God's not like us. He's everywhere and fully present everywhere at the same time. He can hear you whispering a prayer at the same time he's hearing me pour out my heart. He can, he can heal your body while he's strengthening your mind and body all at the same time. And at the same time, he's, he's, he's dealing with something I need to, to deal with in my life, and then he's also looking and seeing the intents and the thoughts and the motives of five and a half billion people at the same time. And he's intimately, uniquely involved with every one of them because he loves them all. He sees every sparrow that falls from the ground, falls to the ground. That's what Jesus said. Literally, in, in, the, in the language of the Bible, this is what it says. God is with every sparrow as it falls to the ground. He accompanies every sparrow. Do you realize how many birds there are out there for God to follow? And if he feels that about the birds, what about us? How much more does he love and care for us? He's not like us. He never gets tired. He never gets weary. He never needs a day off. He never misses a call. 
And folks, I want to tell you, he never says no to any private counseling session that you want to make. He never turns you away. <laughs> his power and his strength are limitless. Nothing is impossible to God. God can do anything except lie. He always tells the truth. He's not like us. His power is unlimited, but he will not force anyone to love him. With one word, he can blot out the sun and bring this earth to a halt. But you know why he doesn't do it? Because he's also full of love and mercy and grace and patience. His love is pure. His love is unconditional. It knows no bounds. God can see in the dark. That's what it says. God can see in the dark, but he cannot be blinded by the light. He never grows old. His mind never fades. He is altogether perfect in every way. No, he's not like us. He is infinite. He is immense, powerful, unlimited, unmatched, perfect, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-patient, unchangeable, creator, life-giver, beauty-maker, eternal one. Why would I waste my worship on anyone or anything less than him? Folks, we don't need to ever, we don't ever exchange or, or somehow squander our birthright as a son and daughter of Almighty Father, Almighty God, by reducing our worship for some earthly thing that is a, that is a concept of a human imagination. Guard your worship. Guard your worship. Guard who you worship and what you worship. There's only one worthy of that worship. There's only one. And it's the God of the Bible. He's the only one that's worth it. Psalm 139, one of my favorites. But I love how this passage out of Psalm 139 is in the Message Bible. Listen to this. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start saying the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is much too wonderful. I just cannot take it all in. <laughs> you know what? I, some people are scared. That, oh, God sees everything. I remember as a kid singing, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You know that one? For uh, Jesus up above, he's looking down at you. I remember scared the daylights out of me. But you know, the guy that wrote this wasn't scared at all. He was blown away. He said, God is for me. He is with me. He's taking care of me. He sees everything. So why do we worship the God of the Bible? My first point, because of who he is. But there's another reason, and the Bible is packed full of revelation of this reason. Why do we worship God? You ready? Because of what he's done. <laughs> In the Psalms of David, we write where David says, Oh, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. 
And then he goes on in that psalm, and he tells all the things, big things and the little things that God does. He used the word magnify the Lord. Now, magnify the Lord, does that mean we need to make God bigger than he is? No, that doesn't mean that at all. That means we need to put God back in their perspective of who he is because we humans have this way of forgetting all the stuff God has done. We, it has a way of just sort of blending into our consciousness and fading away. We don't remember the big, great things God does. And he says, I need to call you into remembrance of those things. Remember them. He said magnify. That, that's why I have glasses up here so I can see what was written down. Okay, it's not to make it better than it is, it's to make it what it is. And when we magnify the Lord, and we, we say, God, you are big, we see his bigness. That's why we do this. Worship is remembering the things of God and giving him credit for them. If we don't, we'll start taking things for granted and we'll be like Job. We'll be all worried about our problems and our problems get bigger and bigger and bigger and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Now you know why David said, magnify the Lord. That's why the Israelites for the last 4,000 years have celebrated Passover. Passover, 4,000 years ago. And they still celebrate, the Jews still celebrate it. Because it was the time that God passed over them when he brought judgment to Egypt. He redeemed them from slavery. That's, that's why they celebrate the parting of the Red Sea. Those are big deals. Yeah, they're big deals. The walls of Jericho victory. The Bible is full of those stories. And folks, listen to me. They are not myths that are in the Bible to try to make you think something about God. They are stories God preserved for us so we would know who he is and what he's done. Every one of them. <clears throat> we worship when we remember what he's done. That's why we do uh, the Lord's Supper. It's so we will remember what he did for us on the cross. That's why we do water baptism. It's so every time we see it, we see it in another believer, we remember the time that he saved us. That's remembering what God has done. That's how we magnify the Lord. Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Remember our definition of worship, everything that we are? Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord on my soul. Forget not his benefits. Why do I worship God? What he's done. Look at what he's done. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's, let's think about this for a minute there's no way to go through everything God's done. You read, read the Bible and see all the big stuff he did in the Bible. But what about the stuff he's done for us? <laughs> uh, when, I, when I was, uh, on, on the phrase, forgives all your sins, when I was a kid, I had a great revelation of what this means. Uh, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a Christian home, a very, um, you know, uh, mom and dad ran a pretty tight ship. There, there was there wasn't a lot going on in that. We didn't have a lot of craziness going on in the house. Um, I, there was like no cussing and stuff going on in our house. My, my parents never cussed and they didn't let us do it. And buddy, if you did, you were in deep trouble. My brother one time, 
he may be listening today. Hey, Mike. Um, my brother one time, uh, I, I remember being in the car. I was, I was younger than him, and he, he had, uh, my mom had picked him up uh, after school, and uh, he got in the car, and she said, well, I heard what you said today. And he went, what? And one of the kids from the seventh grade class had gone to the dentist and told their mother that my brother said a, a curse word in school and called my mother, and my mother picked him up and said, you said this. And I remember my brother was just like, <gasps> and I was in the back seat going, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I didn't grow up around that, but let me tell you, by the time I got in about the sixth grade, I'm telling you, there were some awesome cuss words, and I wanted to say them so bad. <laughs> my friends all said them, and I wanted to see what it sounded like to come out of my mouth. I, I couldn't do that. And so I, I thought, how can I do that? How can I do that that my mother will not find out? And so I went home after school, and I pondered it and thought about it, and then I decided to go do it alone. So I went out in the backyard in this storage building we had that was right up against a, a, a fence. There was just a little bit of space between the cornfield fence and this storage building. I got back there, and I let her rip. I cussed and shot birds. I'd never done either one of those things. <laughs> I did. I did that. And then I, and it didn't help. It didn't feel good. It felt awful. And then I heard a rustle in the cornfield. Oh, yeah. It was our neighbor, Thurman Brewer, <laughs> whose wife, Nettie, had a telephone. So immediately, I knew Thurman's going to go tell Nettie. Nettie's going to call Marilyn, my mother, and I am dead meat. Because I didn't say one word. I said a bunch of and shot birds. <laughs> so I, rem I remember running out from behind the, the little house going, what am I going to do? And I remember going, oh, Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me. I remember praying, you know, everything I could pray, kneeling, doing everything. I, I freaked out. I went in my house. My mother's cooking supper. She's in the kitchen. I ran in the house, and I, I ran down the hall. I went to my room, and I looked myself in the mirror and said, you're dead. And then I, I came back out, and I, I thought about ripping the phone out of the, of the wall because I knew that would at least delay it. But I would have to explain that. So I, I, I came in the kitchen. My mother turns around and goes, what's wrong? And I exploded like a volcano. I told her everything, just that I told her. And my mother held me up against her dress, rubbed my head, and said, well, it looks like we've learned a lesson, haven't we? And she said, now go in and wash your face. Your dad will be home in a few minutes, and we're going to eat. And I remember going, oh, she's delaying the executioner. That's what it is. I'm going to go wash my face, come back in. Dad will be home. She will have told him, and then the hammer's going to fall. And Dad came home, and we all sat around the table, and Dad said nothing, and I didn't see Mom whispering to Dad, and I, I'm looking around like, this cannot be true. And we all sat and talked, and I'm sure Mom told Dad later, but it was never brought up to me again. And when somebody told me about my sins were being forgiven, when I gave my heart to the Lord and my sins would never be brought up again, I thought of that moment. That moment blew my mind. It blew my mind. That's what God has done for us. He's forgiven our sins. 
it, it, several years ago, there was a gentleman in our church, an, an older gentleman who was very ill and was, hospice was with him, and he had not lived a, 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 a very godly life most of his life. He had spent a lot of years in addiction and a lot of family issues or whatever, but in, when, he, when he got ill, he came to the Lord and gave his heart to Jesus, and he got saved. And he was in hospice in his final days, and his wife called me and said, he's just, he's shaking, he's so scared. Would you come and talk with him? And I went and I met with him and I said, is there anything you want to tell me? And he looked over at me and he said, with just very little breath left in his body, he said, preacher, are you sure all that stuff I did is not going to be brought up to me in a very short time? And I said, did you ask Jesus to wash your sins away? Yes, I did. Did, did you repent of those things and say, I, 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 I don't want to deal with this anymore? Did, did you do that? Yes, I did. I said, brother, I've got good news for you. In a very short time when Jesus meets you in this room, he's going to have a smile on his face and you're going to have one on yours. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins are away from you. Your past is gone. You're a new creation. I told him, the Bible says that your sins have been thrown in the bottom of the sea, in the sea of forgetfulness. I'll never forget that moment. I went home, and early the next morning, I got a call from his wife. He had passed away. And she said he passed away with a smile on his face. What has the Lord done for us? He forgave our sins. That's not all. The Bible says he heals our diseases. He is a healer. He's not an advisor. He's a healer. I'll never forget it. And when I was in college, I, I, in 1975, I went with a bunch of college students to Pennsylvania to a Jesus festival. It was Woodstock with no drugs. And I... Uh, it was a Jesus festival, and I'll never forget something that happened there. I was, I, was, I, I was as close as I am to you on the front row. I was that close to a young man I'd seen for three days that his grandmother had brought him in a wheelchair. He had cerebral palsy, very, very bad cerebral palsy, to where he, 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 he couldn't get out of the wheelchair and walk or anything. And, and his grandmother had brought him out there. And I watched... Nobody laid hands on this guy, but I saw a guy from the front saying, God is healing somebody. And I watched that guy get up out of a wheelchair. I saw his arms like pop, 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 and pop. And I saw that happen. And I, I didn't, I, I was awestruck. I, I couldn't believe it was happening. He got up and grandmother passed out, hit the ground. Uh, they had TV cameras that came out there the next day and, and interviewed him. And he couldn't walk very well. He'd never balanced in his life, but he was healed. I, and when somebody says, I don't know if God heals, I go, oh, yes, he does. I watched it happen. Listen, he heals all our diseases. It says he redeems your life from the pit. You know what the pit is? The pit is a place that you can't get out of. And when you're, when you're alive in the pit, you're just waiting to die. 
you're just in the pit, you're trapped forever. Some people's pit may be addiction. Some people's pit is just your circumstance. Some people, it's a physical illness they're in. Some people, it's mental illness they're in. Some, some it's a literal prison that they're in. The Bible says God redeems your life from the pit. That means he gives your life back to you. You're no longer just waiting there to die. There was a demoniac in the book, uh, in, in the New Testament. He was lived among the tombs and, and he, he couldn't even keep clothes on himself and he was, he was mentally deranged and ill and he, he would run and scream and cut himself. He was a self-harmer. He, he, all of these kind of things that Jesus showed up and he ran down to Jesus and it was weird. He ran down and said, go away from me. But he ran to him. And Jesus saw what was going on. That man wanted freedom. He just couldn't say it. The demons were so strong in him. And Jesus spoke and those demons left. And that man, the Bible says, stood up in his right mind. He got redeemed from the pit. Wow. God redeems from the pit. There's a young man, 30 years old. He's a part of our church. He's not here today. He's, he's quite sick right now. His name is Dustin. Dustin was sentenced to the pit. Three years ago, he was in hospice as a 27-year-old in hospice care. He was given three months to live and didn't know Jesus at all. And Christians from this church just prayed for him. Didn't lay hands on him, just prayed for him. And God healed him. He got taken out of hospice and told, hey, you, you can go and move on with your life. And after a while, he gave his heart to the Lord. Gave his heart to Jesus. And uh, he, he, he got delivered from that pit. And then recently, just recently, he had another thing that happened to him, a blood clot that went to his leg. And the doctor thought he was going to have to take his leg off and said, I don't know that you're going to survive this. And the doctor got... Got, got ready to do the surgery when the, the leg was no longer clotted and his leg was pink and, and, and warm again. And the doctor said to me, that was a miracle. You know, he told, I, I talked to Dustin yesterday. I, I asked permission to tell this story. He said, yeah, there's two times that God just saved my life from death. And I thought he redeemed you from the pit, man. He redeems you from the pit. He still has a lot of struggles to go, but you know what he knows? The God that redeemed him from two pits, he's not limited to one pit. He can do it every day if he needs to. I want you to know, if you, God took you out of a pit, that wasn't the only thing he's gonna do for you. He'll take you out of any pit you're in. That's what he does. Worship should matter to us because of who God is and what he does. Look, you're always going to be a worshiper. You can't stop it. It's what you do. You can't help it. You're going to worship something or some, someone or something. You can't live without it. We were created to worship, and we find things to worship. Why would we spend our life declaring our allegiance and worship to something that's not worthy of it? It's true. We're going to worship something. What will it be or who will it be? That's the question. And you have to choose. We all have to choose. You can choose to worship human life, or, you know, like human greatness, sports figures, entertainment figures, 
you know, cultural icons, politicians, woo, knowledge, science, career, your spouse, your children, our country. None of those things are worth worship. They are all wonderful, but they're not worth worship. There's only one. They're just more of us. They're just more of we broken us. They're just more human. Don't settle for that. It's important that we find a God to worship who is truly God and truly worthy of our worship. We only have one life. You only have one life to choose who to worship. One brief opportunity, one life span to choose who you're there to declare your allegiance to forever, to unleash your affection on, the one that you can prize above all else. And folks, that one, I believe, is the one true God of the Bible. He's the only one that's worthy. I said earlier, worshiping God doesn't help God get better, but it sure does help us. <laughs> Pastor Jay said it last week. It, it, it benefits us. When we worship God and he calls us to worship, what happens is he gives us the right to know him and to give us the greatest gift we could ever receive, knowing God. His call for us to worship Him is His call for us to, be, to receive Him, to receive Him, to make that space Jordan talked about earlier in our heart for Him. Worshiping God is rewarding us with Himself. That's what it is. I began this message today talking about Job about his encounter with God and when Job repented of all of his arrogance and his blindness God proved his point to him Job responded by saying this my ears have heard of you but now my eyes have seen you when Job got past himself and his problems when he got past himself and he began to go into true worship of who God is and what God's done. Suddenly, he didn't just know about God. He could see him. The curtain came back. It was a revelation. And that's why we worship him. It's so you can see him better and know him for who he is and rehearse all that he has done. Why would we settle for today whether you're online or whether you're in this building I want to tell you something there's an invitation given to you right now who will you worship you have to choose who will you worship and he says if you will choose to see me as I am I'll pull the curtain back and you can see me even better some of you are in a pit today. Some of you have diseases and sicknesses. Some of you are filled with darkness and sin. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the answer to all three. Whether you are full of sin and you need God to save you and forgive your sins, 
whether you have sickness in your body or in your mind, or whether you are just in the deepest pit you can't get out of, I want you to know the God of the Bible is here today as we worship him to set you free. It's not the words of a preacher. It's not the words of a doctrine. It's God's word to you. It's who he is. It's who he is. I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? Those of you at home, if you'll just join with us for a few minutes here, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to pray along with me, and I'm going to ask anyone in this room to pray along with me. Would everyone bow your heads just for a moment? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm going to ask you to raise your heart. Today, if you are in a pit, today, if you need your sins forgiven, if you need your body touched in healing, your mind touched in healing, today, if you find yourself bewildered by everything around you, I call you right now to worship the one true God and to declare your love and allegiance to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person online, every person in this room, I pray as they reach out to you as we worship with this song. I pray, Lord God, as we do that, as we do that, you will set them free, heal their bodies, and forgive their sins. Thank you. Those online, the prayer team is is waiting for you right now. And as we worship through this song, Let God pull back the curtain.